0: Last week, we started a six-part series from the Book of Numbers. So if you may please turn to the Book of Numbers and there in Chapter 10 as I make these remarks. And we said that this book, the Book of Numbers, it is an easily forgotten book. People do not know it, do not know the thread of the story. But in this book, it is like a gold mine where we can be able to mine treasures that will be able to help us in our journey of faith and and encourage us and actually be able to help us in our spiritual conduct and how we relate with the Lord. In a nutshell, the Lord had delivered the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. He had redeemed them. He had saved them, delivered them, but he had not yet settled them in the promised land. Saved, but not yet settled. He had redeemed them but had not rewarded them with the promise that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So there were people in between. They had been redeemed, but they had not been rewarded. They had been saved, but they had not been settled in the promised land. And so again, the book of Numbers, for us as believers, it reminds us that we are on a journey as well the way this book is set it's in the wilderness they are not in Egypt they are not yet in the promise they are in between and so even for us we need to be reminded as believers that we have been saved from the strong grip of sin that we are no longer enslaved by sin and death that we are on our way to heaven this promised heaven that our Lord Jesus Christ promised us but we are not yet there So as believers, we are in between as well. Come to think of it even as a church, that we are looking forward to getting into a new worship center, but we are not yet there. We are looking there with hope. Also, perhaps even in our families, maybe we are also in an in-between moment. We know that God has assured us some things, but we have not yet experienced them. Some of these blessings perhaps comes when we join couples here and we pray for them and we pronounce blessings and we agree with the couple, but yet the Lord has not yet fulfilled all the promises and all the things that the Lord may have promised you. We are also in an in-between moment. So the book of Numbers again becomes like a travel uh, journal, you know, that gives us insights on how these people of Israel conducted themselves and actually how God equally treated them. So, as we journey again in this journey of faith, as we walk, as we practice our faith, it is always good to take um, sort of the, I mean, we take stock. We review where are we at. We see how are we doing. We evaluate the process. We recount and remember the goodness of the Lord, what God has done. And that may strengthen our faith. So, as you sit down here today, may you have a moment to reflect and to recount and to remember the things that the Lord has done in your life. And may, as you remember that, may you be encouraged even to pursue God and to walk with him and to savor him. Last week, we camped in Numbers chapter 1 and 2. And we were saying that the people are, were on a long journey from Egypt where they had been enslaved. And in here, let me jog your memory, we saw that God calls Moses, the deliverer of God's people, to count the number of men who can go to fight, the number of men who can join the army. And Moses counted them with the help of others. He counted over uh, 600,000 fighting men. And we saw that this is such a clear demonstration, and we were talking about the four Ps, if you may remember, that God had made them a people. God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham that I'm going to increase you as a people. You are going to be a big population. We were also able to see or to remember that even for us as a church, that the church of Christ, we also continue growing. And you may remember that we say that even John, you know, in the the book of Revelation, was able to see so many people, a great multitude that no one could count. So the same way God was increasing these people, he's also increasing the people of God. We also saw that God had made them to be such a powerful army, 600,000 fighting men, that they were such a powerful people or a powerful force to reckon with. And we said as well that God also, when we become believers, when we become his people, God gives us power to be able to overcome the enemy. God has power, or has given us power, to be able to overcome the temptations of the evil one. We also saw how God again, he put them into smaller units. The 12 tribes, excluding the Levites, God divided them into four units. And he placed them in different places, some on the north, some on the south, some on the east, and some on the west. And we said that he asked that the tabernacle, the visible presence of God, be placed at the center. And all the tents of these people, that they be facing the center, so that they may always remember that God's presence is with them even as they navigate through life. So God's presence was with them. Again, God had said that the people, or the tribe of Levi, that one should be the one that will be able to encircle the tabernacle. And this tabernacle, again, we, if you may remember, we said how God had arranged them, it was like a cross. And we saw a graphic representation of that, telling us perhaps that, you know, the, you know, the promise of the cross, where and how we be saved, that his presence, the presence of our Lord, God with us, Emmanuel, how he's going to dwell with his people. Then we saw how God says, let the Levites surround this tabernacle, and let them act as a shield between the people and God, so that the wrath of God, well knowing that the other people were sinners, even the Levites themselves were sinners as well, but God said, I want to have people encircling the tabernacle because I am a holy God and I have a holy indignation towards sin and if anyone sins, then the wrath of God is going going to come to the people and I do not want that. Let there be a clear demarcation. Let the Levites surround the tabernacle so that my wrath may not come to the people. And we say that that again, b- b- borrowing up from the The vision that we saw over the cross that our Lord Jesus Christ protected us as well from the wrath of God on the cross. That all the wrath of God was poured on him and because of that as believers then we have the opportunity to go to the Holy of Holies to the throne of grace and be able to receive our masses from there. So we looked at that. Today we in chapter 10 and chapter 11 we are going to see something else. Last week we were seeing four Ps. Today we are going to see three Ds. And this is how we are going to see them. We are going to see these people now departing from the wilderness. Then we'll be able to see that something has happened and they deviated. They grumbled and deviated from the promises of God and how they grumbled, how they complained, and the effect of that. So we are going to see departure, deviation, and then how God disciplined them. And so today, if you want to remember it, it's 3D. So, karibu sana to the 3D movie, you may have your glasses. (laughs) But let me tell you what has happened between chapter 1 to chapter chapter 10. Chapter 1 to chapter 8, God sets aside a significant portion to describe the Tasks of the Levites. These people that he had called to shield his own people. He, you know, we, there is a good segment there that tells us about their tasks and even how the people of God are to conduct themselves. I know some of you have been reading all this. Then in chapter 9, we see that these people of Israel celebrated their first Passover out of Egypt. You may remember if you ask yourself, what is this big thing about the Passover? The Passover was the final blow to the people who had enslaved the people of God. That is the Egyptians. That they didn't, that God came and said that, you know, slaughter a lamp and then smear the blood on the doorposts. And then when the angel of judgment or the angel of death come, he will pass you over and go to the houses of the Egyptians who had not believed in me. It was like the final blow to slavery. And in the New Testament, we know that Jesus, Paul says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. In any case, John said, looked up and said, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of man. Now in chapter 10, that is about chapter uh, chapter 10, chapter 9, sorry. Let us jump to chapter 10 from verse 11. This is what the Bible says. On the 20th day, Of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the testimony. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. Let's take a moment there. This is one year, two months since they left Egypt, and 19 days after the census that we were discussing last week. And we see here the cloud lifting from the tabernacle of the testimony. And you can only imagine the sheer excitement that these people may have had at that moment. Finally, the journey towards the promised land has begun. Now we are on our final journey towards Canaan, towards the promised land. God himself is leading us to our inheritance. He is a rewarder. He's a God who keeps promises that I will take you, I will guide you, and I will lead you to the promised land, the land of rest. And this was such a huge thing. So, and in verse 14 says the divisions of the camp of Judah, you may remember this from last week, how God said that even the units that are going to be the first to move. It says there the divisions of the camp of Judah went first under their standard. Nashon, son of Aminadab, was in command. Nathanael, son of Zuah, was over the division of the tribe of Issachar, and Eliab son of Helon was over the division of the tribe of Zebulun. The tabernacle, then the tabernacle, verse 17, was taken down, and the Gashonites and, and Merorites who carried it set out. You see that even the tabernacle of the Lord was at the center, in the rightful place. And these people now are following God, the commands and the orders of God. At last, after nearly 700 years since God had given these people the promise through Abraham, they are setting out as a people of God to the promised land. And as the cloud lifted, they stood as well to go and receive their, pro- uh, their promise. So this was a great moment. This was a joyful moment for them. This could be anything, could not be anything better, standing on the sands of the promise that now they are just about to cross to the other side. So they go like that, and even how God had ordered them, even the tabernacle, at what point it's going to leave, and how it's going to leave, and how they are going to conduct themselves, and who will have specific tasks, and God is ordering them. And you may remember what we were saying last week, that, you know, God is a God of order any moment that we meet something that is running out of control in our lives, we need to entrust that to our God, the God of order. That he's a God who plans. He's a God who is able to see even things that we cannot be able to see. And so if we entrust all our lives and all our matters, all our seasons and situations in him, he's a faithful God, brothers and sisters. Even if you have done strategic management, and trust yourself in the Lord because He has always a better strategy than the one that perhaps you went through school. So they do that. Then we see in verse 29, this is what He says now Moses said to Hobab, son of Reuel, it's not an easy one for my people to pronounce that well, the Midianite, Moses' father in law. And then you, you might ask yourself, I thought. Moses' father-in-law was Jethro. You may remember that, right? Who is this called Reuel? Who is he? It was just another name of Jethro. So do not worry about that. It's just another name. He said to Hobab, his brother-in-law now, We are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And then Hobab answered, No, I will not go. I am going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, Please do not leave us. You know where we should come in the desert and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. And this is a case of the first evangelism in the book of Numbers. And reminding us that salvation, brothers and sisters, is not just for us alone that we have equally other people to be able to, to, you know, that we can invite. And not just one, persistently. Most of you even who are here in this church, you may have been invited by a friend, by someone that you know, or even a colleague. And even research has shown that people who are invited by other people, that, you know, the church can grow when other people invite others. But leave alone this physical church. We also know that the Invisible Church of Christ... It will grow when we invite others as well. And so Moses is inviting his brother. And his brother says, no, I'm not coming with you. But he persists and tells him about the good news of the Lord. He appealed to him. And he tells him, you know, let us go. And Hobobo actually went with him. And his lineage, somewhere in the book of Judges, we see through Ryle that actually that was his generation. That he obeyed. And that faithfulness, you know, it's even recorded for us. So whatever you do, even when we invite others, when we pray for others even to receive Jesus Christ, for them to come and test this good thing, this gift of salvation, we need to remember that it's not just for one Sunday, that even generations later, that our impact will be felt and will be seen. Let's proceed with our story. Verse Verse 33. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And so they depart to the promised land, and they were guided by the presence of the Lord, by this cloud. They were not following their own whims or impulses or whatever they know. They were actually following and pursuing God. God is the one who was directing them. But they also submitted themselves to be led by God. That they had him, they followed him, they saw him, and they followed him. And they didn't follow the advice of their friends. They didn't follow the advice of Google Maps. You know that Google Map, turn right, the one that tells us you have arrived, and you look, you haven't arrived. That lady called she's called Gadoni, you know, she, she di- misdirects you. They were following God and listening to Him. And if God said stop, they stopped. Go, they go. They were living a life of obedience. This journey, this departure, they were pursuing and following God. And this is it, friends. These guys were not, were unaccustomed to life in the wilderness. They were not used to this life. They had been enclosed somewhere. So they needed to trust the Lord. They do not know about wilderness. And that's the same thing even when ourselves, we go through a season of wilderness. The one that we do not know how to deal with it. Friends, brothers and sisters, let us be able to trust ourselves in the hands of God. When we walk through something that is very, very unfamiliar, let us trust the Lord. And let us obey him. He says, stop, we stop, we go, we go. Because therein, there are blessings if we obey him. Let us not seek our own wisdom. Let us trust the hand of God by making him first central to our lives in our lives and he's going to give us the next steps how we need to pursue him and how we need to follow him. So friends are there areas that you're struggling to follow the Lord? Or are you in a season that God is telling you wait or go and you do not know how to conduct yourself and trust yourselves in the hands of God and live in obedience to him and there is great reward in there. Then verse 35 Says this, Moses, whenever the ark of set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, may your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. And briefly, what Moses here is doing, he's praying this prayer of faith that actually Canaan, the promised land, is theirs. You know, he's strengthening his faith, knowing that God does not lie. You know, he's trusting in the character of God. The one who has promised is good. He's faithful. This work that has begun, he's faithful to see it to completion. And so he constantly reminds himself that you are faithful. Even if I haven't seen this promised land, even if we are seen in the wilderness, we are faithful. I am faithful that you are going to deliver us and you are going to reward us with this promised land. And so even when we do not see things as they ought to be, when we do not know how tomorrow looks like, we can still learn to trust in our God and to latch our hope and our faith in him, for he is a faithful God. So friends, these are people who are so blessed, and God is with them. And they have put their faith in God so that as they depart, they are not going alone. They are going with the Lord. So you'll be glad if we left it there. But soon after that, Numbers chapter eleven starts on a sad note. Let's go to chapter to Numbers chapter eleven. Just flip the next page there; you'll see it there, or you can swipe your gadget, your tablets, and you'll be able to see what Numbers chapter eleven says. Numbers eleven starts on a very sad note. Verse one to verse three says this. Now the people complained about the hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. This is three days later from their departure to the promised land. You know, you feel like you need that meme a few moments later. This is what they say. They had been enslaved for 400 years and still waiting on the Lord and crying unto the Lord. But three days later, they start complaining and grumbling. All through Numbers 1 to chapter 10, what we have just read, God had delivered these people, God had blessed them, God had organized them, God had ordered them, he had separated them, he had been with them, he had directed them on the route to pursue, and all that. God was indeed with them. And God had set them now on a path towards the promised land for them to go and now be able to savor the blessings of God. They were a people swimming under God's blessings, but as they were being blessed, they were also quick to complain. And before you get hard on these people, you wonder, I, how are they? We too, brothers and sisters, we too also complain. We too also grumble. The Bible says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. But we too also complain quickly. We are saved, we are protected, we are promised, we are the children of promise. But we complain everywhere. And complaining is our second language. With all these promises before them, they looked at God with a suspicious eye, and God was angry because they suspected him, and God punished him, unleashed his wrath to them. They mistrusted God's leadership, and they saw that God, God's leadership was to them hardship. That's what NIV version will say there. They complained about their hardships. That as God was leading them, it wasn't leadership. God was equally enslaving them, like the Egyptians. And that aroused the anger of God. With all these promises, they never trusted God. And their grumbling even didn't have any context. They were just complaining. They murmured under God's provision. They didn't have a reason to complain. But they just murmured And God's wrath rose They complained without reason They were under God's gracious provisions They were being guided They were people who were being led They were people in the path of God But they complained And the same fire that was present with them To warm them up In the night The desert cold To warm these people Two million people That fire that was to comfort them, also became the fire to deal with their present sin. But out of his mercy, God restrained his wrath and his anger and his judgment to the outer part of the camp. He saved them, even as much as he was, you know, he was judging them, but equally he was a God of mercy. And when they cried unto the Lord, the fire died. Friends, whether it is expressed loud or harbored in our hearts, Complaining is seen because it takes lightly the gifts of God. It doubts the goodness of God. And that's why God hates those ones who, uh, who, uh, who, who complain, the ones who never see anything good, coming from the hand of God. Some of you may think that, I think, God, you are too harsh. This is just like a very small thing. It never needed that strong judgment you know, you almost feel like you want to tell God, oh God, you know, kubali Aisha. You know, there's nothing much here. But it's not that the God's response was very, very strong. It is that we think far less of the magnitude of complaining. We don't see the magnitude of complaining and grumbling. We think that it's a such a small thing, and it's even a respectable sin. You know, the sins that are good. You know, know, the only problem that I have is that I complain too much. You know, I speak my mind out. It can come dressed as a concern. You know, I'm concerned about how my people are. It also can come as venting. You know, you need to vent. I need to speak my heart out. So I'm venting out. But deep down... It is a veiled accusation of how God is running things. That's why God hates it, because you doubt how God is running his own things. You doubt how God is doing his own things. And so it becomes a spiritual tantrum. And the same way, parents, you feel so frustrated when your child is throwing tantrums, especially in the supermarket, and other parents are wondering what kind of a parent are you, and you are shocked and surprised and you do not know what to do. You are angry with your child because of the tantrums that they are throwing. Also, God takes offense when we throw those spiritual tantrums to them. He doesn't reward them. He disciplines. He doesn't reward spiritual tantrums. So he let his fire to come. This fire that was present with them to comfort them, it becomes a source of judgment. So they are sort of like forgiven after Moses intercedes. But they also forget too quickly, like we do. Let's see. Verse 4 to 6, they make a second attempt at complaining again. Verse 4 says, the rabble with them, and, and here the rabble, these are in the book of Exodus, you know, there were some Egyptians who had seen the things that God had done, and so they had followed this party. So even amongst them, there were still some Egyptians. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, garlics. If I were there, I would have added broccoli. Or commander, you know commander. A very weird food. Commander. I've never seen where it's grown. A food that I don't know where it is grown. I've never seen farmers' association of commander growers. I've never seen you. Know, have you ever seen the commander where it's grown, you guys? But it is in the market. You don't know where it comes from, but it's always there. I doubt it. I don't know about you. But anyway, it's nice. I don't know. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't eat it. Um, Yes, um, I know my wife is in this service, so just talking about commanders. <laughs> but, six, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manner. Friends, complaining is dangerous because from this passage here, this is, these are the things that we can see. Co- complaining the reason why God hates it is because it is con- contagious. It infects. It is like a cold. The grumbling of one affected or caught up with others. They were caught up in the complaint of the uh, of the of of these other guys, and they joined them. And even they multiplied it. Once they were wailing, they were crying. You can imagine big men crying for food. That's what happens, and many times complaining is a second language to the people of God. We complain. They were complaining, and they were weeping, and they were crying. It started very low, it's low key, very—you know—it doesn't look dangerous. My mom has a word for it in Greek where we come from, muhuhu. you know, you don't know where it is, but it spreads, and you never see, and you cannot put a person, who started this rumor, who started this complaining? It is contagious. Number two, the second thing that you can see here, it's irrational. Israelites, these guys, they are daydreaming about Egypt. And this is insane, because Egypt was a land of affliction. And heavy burdens, oppression, and you know, and slavery, but the promised land was a place of rest. But they confused the promised land to Egypt. It was a place, The the, Canaan was a place where they'd be safe, they'd be provided for. But they start confusing Egypt with Canaan. It's irrational. They start saying that we, we used to eat this food at no cost. It was free. But it was costly. They had to work hard for it, hard labor, breaking their bones, the cracking of their whips. But because it's irrational, this complaining veiled them to see where God actually was taking them. They saw where they have come from, but they were not able to see where they were going to. It is not only contagious, irrational, but also downplays God's present blessings. The blessings that you have at the moment, you downplay them because of complaining. They start saying that, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manner. You downplay the blessings of God. Food that God provided for them every week for six days, food was ready. They start thinking that this is not a blessing. It is such a bother. They think less than they were, And they start recalling the things and the foods that they were eating as slaves. Now they are free. They cannot be able to celebrate the blessings of God, the food that they are able to eat there. This food that they are saying in Egypt, it was hardly free. It was anything else but free. They had become irrational. And they ridicule these blessings of God and they complain in the subtle belief that God was unfair to them by providing them all these things. In some way, God had done something wrong, not something good. So it downplays the blessings of God. Is there a place that perhaps, brothers and sisters, you are downplaying the blessings of God? Have there been relationships that the Lord has blessed you with, but now you are taking them lightly? At one time, you celebrated it. It was manna from heaven. But now, you are downplaying that. Friends, we need to be careful about downplaying the blessings of God. Actually, the children of Israel did forget all this. Even in the New Testament. You know, Christ was saying that he's the bread of life in the book of John, chapter 6. From verse 41, it says, At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. That I was there. That man, I was actually me to come and feed you. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Then Jesus tells them, stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered. So the grumbling continues even to the New Testament. And out of that, even now in this modern church, in this current age, we are still complaining and grumbling and not again trusting the Lord complaining isn't just contagious irrational or downplaying the present blessings of God but is equally pervasive it not only infects but also affects others and this is it please see with me from verse 10 of Numbers chapter 11 Moses had the people of every family wailing so you can imagine 2 million people wailing each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Translate it the second part in your mother tongue. Did I give birth to these people? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms? As a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Verse 15. If this is how you are going to treat me... Put me to death right now. I have found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. That if I have found favor with you, please kill me. He's becoming a little bit suicidal there. He is affected by the complaining of others. Friends, if you are someone who loves complaining, please remember that your complaining affects others. You may not see the impact at that time. But please remember, even at that home, whether you are a child, you are in a family, but you are the one who complains, or you are a spouse, the husband or the wife, please go and evaluate here, because you may not know the road that you are taking those who are close to you. How about your bosses, your employers? How about your employees? Complaining affect others. And Moses, the man of faith, the man of God, is brought down by people who are complaining. He doesn't even have the energy even to do life. Complaining affects leaders. It knows no bias. It affects children. It catches the old, the young, the poor, the rich, pastors, congregants, everybody. If you're not careful, no one, all of us are prone to complain. We are not exempted in falling into this trap. No one is immune to the pervasive nature of complaining and how it reaches even to others and how it affects others. But this is the difference. To his credit, Moses doesn't complain to the people. Do you see that? He complains or laments to God. It doesn't mean, even as I'm talking about complaining, it doesn't mean that we should not let God know the truth. Life, when we live life in this fallen world, we will meet difficulties. We we'll meet hardships. We we'll meet illnesses. Relationships break down. And we are angered. We do not know what to do. But the difference between Moses and his people, his people complained to each other. And they doubted the merciful hand of God, the provisions of God. But Moses goes to the Lord, and talks to the Lord. As much as his remarks were far-fetched, God gave him and covered him with grace. They were having a conversation with him. And do you know what happened? The Lord said to Moses in verse 16, bring me 70 of Israel elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them to come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take off the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So God gives him a solution. And he covers him with his grace. He understands God is a faithful father. But only if we come to him. Because on the other way, on the other side, we are imputing ill motive on God when we share it with others. And not take it before the Lord. And what do you see there then? Verse 18 Tell the people, consecrate yourselves. And pre- uh, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat. So you ask for meat. The Lord had you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. God is recounting the words that actually they were sharing. They were saying to each other, God acted as a witness. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You would be happy if it stopped there, but verse 19. You will not eat it for just one day, that's okay, God, or two days, I think that one is fine, or five, eh, 10, or 20 days, but for a whole month. Until it comes out of your nostrils and you lose it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? That's what God is saying. Friends, we need to be careful of the things that we ask of God. Especially when we are thinking that God is not gracious, that God is not good. God can answer that prayer God can answer it God can bless you with a family If you grumbled and you didn't trust God But after that You will deal with it We need to trust the gracious hand of God That God never withholds anything good from his children And even what I have I know it has come from your gracious hand And I thank you for it Even as I have faith That you are able You are willing to do me well to do me good. Verse 21, but Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. So Moses also is kind of, because of all this disparaging that has been happening, Moses again his faith has gone down. The man who saw God separating the Red Sea, God making the wet ground dry for his people to pass through, the one who saw the plagues that had come to the people of Egypt, now his faith is not doubting, but his faith is so weak because of complaining and grumbling. He says this. Verse 22. Would they have enough if flocks and hearts were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I mean, now he's trying again. The, the hyperbole there, you can see it. Then Verse 23. Because he had talked to the Lord This is what God says, covering him again The Lord answered Moses Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see Whether or not what I say Will come true for you God still is extending grace to Moses So Moses went out And told the people What the Lord had said He brought together 70 of their elders And made them stand around the tent Verse 25 Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took off the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the seventy elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Verse 26, however, two men whose, whose name were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Verse 27, a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since youth, spoke, and, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I mean, this, what I like about Moses, his humility. He doesn't want to be in the limelight. He just wishes that all these people will be able to get to know the Lord. Or even God will raise even more Moses from the crowd. Then Moses, verse 30, then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Back to our story, verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. Some of you have sad memories 10 years ago. With a quail. You don't want to see it. You'd rather edit it and write ducks. (laughs) Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to almost one meter above the ground. You know, where Moses was saying, even the sea is not sufficient. You know, they came from that side. And the Bible says, It brought them down all around the camp to almost one meter, up to the knee level, above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction, from here all the way to Kimende. Quail everywhere, if you get me. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named kibroth Hataba, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. That is the discipline of God. Because they didn't trust the Lord, and God's wrath came about to this camp. And as skin disease was sent to them, God gave them up to their own rebellious requests. He used what they had asked to supply his justice. And this is why perhaps you may ask, God, this was so severe. But actually for us as believers, we need to have hope. That God is a God of justice and righteousness. He is a merciful God. He is a just God. And some of you have gone through experiences that have been had. And you wonder, did God see what I've been going through? Did God see the unfairness? God sees that fairness. And you can trust that he is able to pull his justice and to be able to do that which he does and to vindicate you from that. That's why we have our hope, brothers and sisters. He is a holy God. He can extend mercy if we come and confess to him. But also, it can extend justice if we do not come to Him in repentance. God disciplined them severely. Many of them missed seeing the promised land because they mistrusted who God is, and it came in a subtle way. It came as a conversation through complaining and griping and grumbling amongst themselves. But it reached God. Friends, what we are trying to say is this: God hates this sin. Of complaining. If we are going through a season, we need to take it to him. We need to approach him in prayer. Or you need to get another brother or a sister that you can be able to intercede together and pray that God may come through and sort you out. But if we do not do that, then he's ready to punish. He's ready to apply his justice to the people. And never take lightly the sin of complaining. Some of you even do not want to go for Christmas because you know the complaining that will be happening at home, you know the effects of that. Some of you even at the, at home, maybe at the family level, you know, relationship, your husband or your wife complains, never sees anything good with you and with God. And you wonder, how am I going? If you are like that, if you do this exercise and ask yourself, have I been complaining? Please know, if your friend or your spouse says yes, you need to do a heart audit and ask God, forgive me, and may you give me words so that I can be able to reply or to see you for who you are. I pray that God will be able to heal us. And I pray that these words, which were written here for us and for encouragement, they will also encourage you. And as you walk through this journey, in the season that you might be in, any kind of in-between, that one of the things that you do is to approach the Lord with worship, acknowledging that he is a faithful God. He never withholds anything good. And he's such a good and gracious God. Let us say a word of prayer.